The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Don't forget, my objective is not to present research to people or present new information. My objective is to make people turn the pages. Yeah. My objective is to make people read as, as, as fast and as, with as much engagement as possible. But what I like is to have people put down my book and realize not only do they experience an adventure, they also learn something. <laughs> Greetings and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your humble host, Kelton Reed. And this week, the New York Times bestselling author, Joseph Fender, took a time out to talk with me about how to write prescient, cutting-edge suspense, his writing rituals, overcoming imposter syndrome, and how to come to terms with a business built on rejection. The award-winning author is known for his cutting-edge suspense, ripped straight from the headlines. He's written 16 novels and counting, including Judgment, The Switch, Guilty Minds, and the international bestseller, Killer Instinct. Two of his bestselling novels, Paranoia and High Crimes, have both been turned into major motion pictures and vanished. Fender's instant bestseller introduced readers to private spy Nick Heller. His latest is House on Fire, a Nick Heller novel, focusing on a wealthy family who owns a pharmaceutical company at the epicenter of the opioid crisis. The Washington Post said of the book, the thriller takes ripped from the headlines to a new level, and the New York Times called Fender the master of a complex suspense formula. In this file, Joe and I discussed how setting himself a hard deadline helped him publish his first novel, powerful motivating factors for believable character development, why a writer's research needs to be like an iceberg, turning your writing into a ritual for success, why every novel presents its own unique challenges and the perils of selling the rights to a long-running fictional character. And please do me a favor, if you want to support the show, you can pop over to survey.libsyn.com slash writerfiles and fill out that short seven-question survey so we can learn a little bit more about you, our audience. survey.libsyn.com slash writerfiles. It's simple, it helps a lot, and that link is also in the show notes. Thank you. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you pod to help other writers find us. You can also leave us a comment or question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter 
at Kelton Reed. Stay tuned. Greetings and welcome back to the Writer Files. I am very pleased today to be joined by an honorable, honored guest. Joe Fender is here today to rap with us about all things writing and the writing life. How are you today, Joe? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm here in uh, Denver, Colorado. It's a little cold, but there's not, not much snow on the ground. I had a little bit of a, a dry spell. How are things there? And uh, I believe you're in Boston, right? I was in Boston and where it got up to 74 a couple of days ago. Ooh, it's weird. That's it's nice. Weird. Yeah, that is. But weird. Saying. But weird. Yeah. 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 Nothing to do with climate change, global, global not climate no. change. Uh, nothing. Nothing. So uh, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Um, that's a, a talk for another episode. But um, yeah, man, I'm excited to wrap with you about all things um, writing and, and about your writing process. Yeah. Definitely about the latest novel, which is which is getting a lot of great buzz. And um, let's talk about, let's roll the clock back as we do and talk about your superhero origin story. You know, just kind of how you came up, how you found yourself in the position of being this award-winning New York Times bestselling author today, you know, take us back a little bit and maybe to, to a moment in time in your, in your past when you thought, okay, this is, this is what I want to do as, as a career. You know, I want to be mm-hmm. a full-time, full-time writer to today. And, um, th- I believe 15 novels later. Um, yep. yeah. Tell us a little yeah, bit of that story. And, and you know, what's interesting is that my, uh, parents who wanted only the best for me really tried to talk me out of becoming a writer. <laughs> of course. They really, yeah, you know, I, I get it. And, uh, but I really wanted to do it. So what I decided to do is I, I, I had a job teaching. So I said, while, um, I, I figured while I was teaching, I could write and I gave myself three years to write and sell a novel and see if I could do it. And so I, I wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and uh, eventually got an agent. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm shortening the process here. Yeah. But uh, and I was able to sell the book, my first novel called The Moscow Club, just barely within three years and decided. So from that point on, I became a writer full time. Yeah. But, you know, it's, I'm, again, I'm, I'm foreshortening all this. It was a it was a struggle. Sure, sure. Right. And there's it, involves, really no, it involves a lot of rejection, for example. Yeah, yeah, always. And there, it, there's no such thing get. as we as we talk to so many, um, you know, just uh, acclaimed and renowned authors. There's really, we, we learn pretty quickly that there's no such thing as that kind of overnight success. It's always like a 10 book <laughs> or 10 yeah. year. Arc, uh, yeah. Yeah, arc. But um, so... I uh, find very fascinating this latest and especially the kind of the subject matter. But of course, the book that we're talking about, Joe's um, upcoming release, uh, I believe comes out January 21st. So if you're listening That's to this right. after that that date, um, the book is available wide. And yeah, you're, you, you're returning with a, um, a character that you've written before, a private investigator. Right. And uh, the title is House on Fire. It's getting um, some really great blurbs and reviews. And of course, what we're talking about here, and I think the Washington Post put it very succinctly, is 
um, it takes ripped from the headlines to a new level. And that's exactly what I'm finding too. I mean, it just does kind of suck you in, but the subject matter is fascinating to me. Maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, I want to get into the research piece of it, but Mm -hmm. before that, just kind of, um, how you came to writing this, this character into this, um, fantastic new novel. Well, you know, I had, um, I've been reading a lot about the opioid crisis. We all have. And it's, you know, it's a tragedy. It's a terrible story. It's something like almost a half a million Americans have died from overdoses of opioids. Yeah. And, and that's sort of amazing that that's actually happening in a, in, in a 21st century world. And then I read a, a story about how some of these companies that make opioids knew how dangerously addictive they were and yet concealed that from doctors. Yeah. So they were pushing doctors to prescribe opioids while concealing from them the facts of how, and they knew of how dangerously addictive they were. And I, I, I read that and, and that pissed me off. And I thought to myself, this is a case for Nick Heller. This is a case for my series character, Nick Heller, yeah. who is a private private investigator, only I call him a private spy, because he does infiltration operations as well as does investigations. And I, wa- and, and I thought, if I could get Nick involved in a case like this and have him take it personally, then it would be a powerful story. So I did some more reading, and I found that, that among vets, among veterans, military veterans, the, uh, the incidence of opioid addiction is really alarmingly high. So the story, House on Fire, opens up with a funeral, with Nick realizing that a friend of his had just died from an opioid overdose. And this friend of his named Sean was in the special forces with Nick and saved Nick's life. So Nick is sort of angered about that, and he goes to the funeral, and there he meets a woman who turns out to be the daughter of an opioid tycoon, of a guy who made his billions selling opioids. And she is an interesting character. She is a... Um, she wants to be a whistleblower within the family. She just wants to be a turncoat. She wants yeah. to hire Nick to find out, to prove that her father knew how addictive this drug was, but buried it. And as soon as Nick is approached by this woman, he says yes, because he's personally invested in it now. And I, I found that that sense of that need, that desire for vengeance is a really powerful engine in a story. And it really sort of makes it pro- propelled Nick into it. Yeah. Uh, so, so I sort of, the story began to move pretty quickly from that point on. Yeah. And, and did you get, so did you get the feeling that it was kind of writing itself as you, as you did this intensive research? So I'm, I'm imagining that you, that you dug very deeply into kind of some of these stories and, and, behind yep. say Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family yep. Um, yep. who we now know, you know, I mean, I think the mm-hmm. story told very well actually by um, an NPR podcast recently um, called Throughline. Throughline did a, mm-hmm. uh, a fantastic, you know, they, they're a history podcast. So they just kind of 
trace the history. And it's only 45 minutes long. I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's just titled America's Opioid Epidemic. Um, and not two days ago, a Washington Post headline read, uh, more than 100 billion pain pills saturated the nation over nine years. I mean, if you can mm-hmm. imagine that, um, it's a pretty staggering amount. And, you know, and I'm, as I'm sure you found in the book digs into a little bit, a lot of that is uh, marketing, right? This yep. uh, kind of insidious <laughs> marketing yeah. that these companies are allowed to do. And we're, we're like one of only, what, three countries in the world, um, I learned, that allow uh, drug companies to advertise. Isn't that weird? Is that right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty it, sickening. Yeah, and and there's and actually there's more than advertising that goes on because there's there's this kind of behind the scenes marketing. Right. So what some of these companies have done, these opioid companies, is they've they will fly doctors in to some Caribbean resort and ply them with with all kinds of drinks and that sort of thing. But then ply them with money, pay them speakers fees. So basically, th- these doctors were being paid fees in order to prescribe the opioid drugs and they the the it was being kept from the doctors how dangerously addictive they were sure that was being kept from the doctors and this this is reality i mean so i like to base my stories in some kind of reality and this is the re this is the reality although i don't know how many people knew about it and i decided i wanted to write a novel that centered on that yeah yeah Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime that's patreon.com slash the writer files help us start something cool and special keep calm and write on well i think as you put it you know that kind of vengeance piece is, is a great a great place to jump off and um you know obviously you did some really intensive research i find your 
you know, I know you've talked about this at length, but some of your research processes, processes and sources to be fascinating. Tell us a little bit about that because, you know, I noticed that, you know, uh, you know, as an award-winning author, obviously you've, you know, you've got these connections in the literary world, but you also have some pretty interesting connections as a, as a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and the Association mm-hmm. of Former Intelligence Officers, you must know some pretty interesting people I do. Um, that kind of yeah. help, help inform your work. Tell us maybe a little bit about that. That's yeah, I mean, you know, I, what I, I started out, when I started out writing, I was an investigative journalist, really. And I find that I still use that investigative, those investigative chops yeah. in, my, in my fiction writing. So I will interview doctors and lawyers and psychiatrists um, for the new books, for my new book, and um, I'll find that they actually love to talk to me because people who do this sort of thing are not used to talking to, fi- to fiction writers. And, and in, in some cases when I'm dealing with sensitive stuff, people are willing to talk to a, a novelist who would not talk to, you know, the, the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. Yeah. It's much safer for them to talk to a novelist. Right. So they're willing to talk to novelists and they would not be willing to talk to the New York Times. That's amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah. So you're getting some dirt, you're getting some secrets that, that you know, because they're not really, they're, they don't have to stick their neck out or go on the right. record. Exactly right. Right. I don't use their names. You know, yeah. I may, I may put their names in the acknowledgements. Sometimes they ask me not to plenty of times, you know, there's also, you have to be careful about research. You have to be careful that it doesn't stick out, that it doesn't show. Yeah. You never want the research to show. Research should be like an iceberg where you only see the top 10% of it. Mm. Um, and the rest is sort of what you use to put the story together, but you don't want to show it off. Because my, don't forget, my objective is not to present research to people or present new information. My objective is to make people turn the pages. Yeah. My objective is to make people read as, as, as fast and as, with as much engagement as possible. But what I like is to have people put down my book and realize not only do they experience an adventure, they also learn something. Yeah, they also absolutely. got something out of it, you know. And I think, and that's why writing about the opioid crisis was perfect for me because it was, it 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 made me angry to to think about what was being done to people, and I had a way to 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 use that anger. I had my Nick Heller character as a way to sort of power through the story and get us angry about it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about the process of putting putting the novel together. So are you a writer who combines the research process and the writing process, or do you do, do you kind of separate them and then bring all the research together uh, and get going? Good question. Or, yeah. Good question. So I, um, I do research at two different points. I'll do research at the beginning when I'm, st- when I'm outlining a book, I'll do research to sort of find out what is possible, you know, and I'll do research in order to find out plot lines. So I do, that's kind of an exploratory research at the beginning. While I'm writing the book, that's when I do some of my most useful research, where, I mean, oh, for example, I'll, I have a scene in which Nick is breaking into a corporate executive's office. Yeah. So how, how can you do that exactly? The, the building is locked, 
how do you get into the building? How do you get into the, the office itself? How do you get into the guy's computer? So I will end up talking to people in security and to find out where the vulnerabilities are. I'll talk to people who do, who do penetration tests for a living to sort of break into companies. They're, they're, there are people who are paid by corporations to break into their own companies <laughs> to test the, the defenses. So I'll talk to people who do that. And um, so I make it as real as possible. And I think that the reader can tell if it's real. I think, you know, it's, they don't know for sure, but they, if it feels authentic to them, they can tell. I love that Joe mentions that research is like an iceberg, where you should only see the top 10% of it. And as so many writers know, research is a critical part of the writing process. But just like an iceberg, it could take a huge chunk of your time. I just wanted to take a pause to mention that this episode is brought to you by Words Matter by Wix. And if you're looking for more tips and tricks on how to balance your research and writing, look no further than the Words Matter blog. There's a useful three-part series on creating quality content. And in the first part, research and planning is covered extensively. I'll link to it in the show notes, and it offers invaluable strategies any writer working online should employ and kicks off with one of my favorite apocryphal quotes on the writing process. Easy reading is damn hard writing. See if you can figure out who said it. You can read that article many more over on the Words Matter blog, and you'll find info about exclusive writing workshops and a whole lot more. Explore their site to find all the info you need to become a better writer. It's all on wix.com slash wordsmatter slash blog. That's wix.com slash wordsmatter slash blog. Let's get back to it. Well, you've given away one of your trade secrets, so uh, <laughs> listeners, I hope I hope you're paying attention. Um, that's pretty fantastic. Well, yeah, but, you know, I mean, but yeah. again, I think that writers can over research very easily because there's any number of ways to procrastinate, right? And uh, I think that when people start out writing, they they tend to over research. I think what you need yeah. to do is you need to spend your time outlining the book or figuring out the book or doing plotting, getting your plot in place. And only then should you really do the major part of your research. Yeah, that's a great, a great tip there. Yeah. So talk about, I mean, are you a writer who schedules then when you're getting it, when you're getting into it, you're getting close to the deadline and, and you know, obviously yeah. you're, you're churning out words, churning out pages. Do you go for a word count? Do you have a, um, specific yeah. time, of, time of day, do you chunk it out where you just schedule the time, you sit down, you know, with your coffee and you don't move or what, what's your, uh... uh, yeah, I mean, I'm actually really ritualized about it. I, uh, I go to my office at eight in the morning every day and I start working and I don't quit until noon. I take a break and then I, in the afternoon I'll do research or editing or make some phone calls or something like that. And then I sort of set up my notes for the next day. I've learned something really valuable, which is one of the most valuable things I've learned in, in the writing process is to get my notes together for tomorrow's writing. Yeah. So I get my notes together in the afternoon and I usually read them over before I go to sleep. And it's like putting your brain on slow cook overnight. Mm -hmm. And it, it really, I solve plot problems that way. Great. By by sort of incubating them overnight in my head. Absolutely. Um, so I really, this is one of the ways I sort of, so in the morning, I get into my office 
and I'll pick up the piece, pick up the, the chapter or the part of the chapter that I wrote, and I'll start reading it, and I dive right into the new the new part of the chapter, because I've been doing some thinking subconsciously maybe overnight. I um I like to go for a word count. I don't. I'm not super ambitious. I, I'll sort of. I want. I make myself do at least a thousand words a day, and you know that can add up pretty quickly. Um, but there are days when I'm when I'm really crunching away. I'll do two or three or four thousand words. That, that yeah. happens. Um, yeah. But basically, I try for a minimum of a thousand a day. That's a good. It's a good goal, and uh, yeah, they add up pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. I mean, you've referenced probably a couple tricks, or not tricks, but just age-old um, wisdom from yeah. hard-earned uh, wisdom. Yeah, right. but I mean, I think Hemingway also he you know he was like the father, uh, grandfather of the um, kind of that iceberg theory, and he was also yep. a journalist, right? Great yep, novelist, that's right. and. Yep. Um, also, yeah. And Hemingway also Hemingway also believed in in quitting work for the day before you're done. Yeah. That is, you know, he said never quit at the end of a chapter. Quit in the middle of a chapter. Yeah. Quit when you know it's going to happen next, so that the next morning, when you start up again, you know where you're going. Yeah. That's that's, cool. that's Hemingway advice, and he was he was a professional writer. You know, and he, <laughs> he, it, was, <laughs> it was a job to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. funny how many, I think, you know, we, we all, I think every writer suffers from a certain amount of like imposter syndrome and there's yep. that, there's Absolutely. that feeling. I'm sure I want to ask you about that also, but that kind of like, you know, we always reference that, that, uh, saying like, I'm no Hemingway, um, right. that, uh, I'm sure so many aspiring writers and even writers like yourself who've uh, achieved so much success. But yeah, talk a little bit about that. Cause I know you mentioned kind of like you get these, you get these blurbs on your books from, from, you know, other, uh, from your colleagues who are, who are yeah. also, you know, these incredibly successful writers and, and what does it feel like sometimes to, you know, marry that, like, oh, you know, that imposter syndrome piece with like, oh yeah, Stephen King blurbed my. my. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, um, it's strange because I find when I'm starting a book that, I suffer from a lack of confidence. I just sort of feel, oh man, how do I do this again? I forgot. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. remember how I did this. How was I, you know, somehow I was able to write a book before this. How am I, how can I start this new one? I mean, so I've written 16 thrillers, you know, <laughs> and, and so each one of these books is, you know, is a hundred thousand words. I've yeah. probably written 300,000 words for each book. Cause I do so much writing and revising and editing. Amazing. Um, so I don't know how, how many millions of words that is, but that's a lot. It's a lot of words. And yet I often feel starting out in a new book that I've never done it before. It's yeah. the weirdest thing. And this is, I guess this is what's called the imposter syndrome, some version of that. I don't know. I, so I think that, that that being scared in that way is a good motivator as well. It's sort of, I, I never coast. I never rest on my laurels. I always feel I'm not good enough. I'm always trying to work on something. Each one of my books, by the way, I try to do something new. So I don't, I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. I always want to try something new. Yeah. And, you know, in the case of House on Fire, for example, I wanted to write about a family. I wanted Nick to be 
penetrating a family, to be writing about a family. Uh, and I wanted to be a family of five kids because I grew up in a family of five kids. And I, I, so I wanted to do something different with that. Um, I've got, I'll have, I'll have a book where I've, where I'm writing in the first person for the first time. I have books where I've written in alternating first person, third person. I'm always trying to do something different to shake it up, to keep it fresh for me. Yeah. Because I think if it's fresh, I think if it's fresh for the writer, it's fresh for the reader. It comes across. Interesting. Yeah, of course. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Have you ever written in the second person? <laughs> no, I haven't done second person. I mean, I've, I've read second person. Uh, That's hard to, hard to carry off. And I don't know, did, did Jay McInerney do it more than once? He wrote Bright Lights, Big City. That was <laughs> in second person. So. I don't think I think he, that was the, the only time. It, it, it's just really hard to do second person. Yeah, um, yeah. But in my new book, for example, I'm writing in present tense. So, you know, that I've never done that before. That'll be new. That's cool. Yeah, Jay McInerney, who, who did come on the show to rap about his own writing process. Yeah. Um, you know, he kind of, he went into really like the food and wine world. So that's like his, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he kind of went to journalism. Yeah. His, his big love was wine and, yeah. and uh, but he still writes novels and, but no, they're not typically the second person. No, they're not. He's a, he's a very good writer and he's sort of, you know, if you, you look at him, he's sort of progressed as a writer as well. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of think if, if I'm not getting better at this, then something is wrong. <laughs> I've, I've written 16 novels. I've got to be better at it than I was starting out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it shows, um, obviously with the success of your, your books and, and, um, all the great press that you've been getting and, uh, yeah. Uh, how does Joe Fender unwind at the end of a long uh, day in the office? I work out usually at the end of the day, and then I watch TV. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, oh, that'll bring me into another question. But uh, yeah, are, are you a fan of the the streaming model? Are you are you watching some Netflix or some? Uh... I, listen, I think the the, the t- TV is so good today. And when I started out writing, there were, there were some good shows, but not very many. Yeah. Um, now there are just so many good shows. Too many. Too many. Yeah, you, get, you, <laughs> you can't keep track of them. So a, a friend will recommend a show to you, and you go, what, I haven't never heard of it. Oh, no, it's yeah. on Netflix. I can't find it here on my Netflix menu, you know? Right. It's, yeah, it's, there's, there's too much. And yet I'm writing, I'm working on a TV show myself. 
Are you? Uh, and what I one thing I have to tell you is that writing TV, writing a TV show, or writing a movie is easier than writing a novel. Writing a novel is tough. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. It, well, interesting. Yeah. Right. Because in, in as a TV uh, writer slash producer, you don't write typically the whole. You know, you don't write start to finish all. 12 or 16 episodes no. you know it's usually no, split up between yeah. a writer's room and, and dozens of writers exactly. contribute um can you say what show you're working on uh not at the moment i can't okay that's, a, that's a good answer that's a good answer a mystery i I'll will talk. eventually we'll yeah. un- unravel someday um yeah. so uh yeah so that brings me to my next question which is have you sold the rights of house on fire to netflix yet <laughs> i have not we actually have not put the rights out we've not made the rights available and the reason is not that i'm being precious about this but the reason is i learned from there's a great mystery writer named sue grafton who did the the alphabet series yeah and sue sue made the mistake of selling the rights to her to her character her kinsey malone character um with the first book and then the movie, the studio, I think, went out of business or something. It could, it, the rights disappeared. Mm-hmm. So I've learned that if I'm going to sell the rights, because if you sell the rights to a series no, novel, the studio owns every book in which that character has appeared or will appear. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, so you got to be careful who you sell it to. So when I when we find a, a studio or a producer who really has a chance of getting it made, then I'll sell it, but not until then. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good Good to know and uh, good for you. So, um, yeah, as we wrap up here, I'm just going to point at your uh, home base there, and uh, that is josephfender.com. Right. And um, also, I will link to your Twitter and your Facebook. Is there anywhere else you want to point at before we wrap Let's up? Let's see. No, Twitter, Facebook. Um, website on Mr. Social Media. No, those are, <laughs> I, I don't have Instagram. That's when I don't do Instagram, but you know. Yeah. Um, House on Fire is the latest by Mr. Fender centers on the uh, worldwide opioid crisis, but it is a, um, a fantastic suspense novel. And um, yeah, it's gotten some great praise. It's, uh, I like this, uh, this brief explanation when the fall of a family dynasty is the only justice. And of course, Nick Heller, uh, infiltrates that powerful family who's hiding something exactly. sinister, um, yep. house on fire. Of course I will link to that and all the places. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, is there anything you want to leave your fellow scribes with as we sign yeah. off? Yeah. This is a business in which rejection is a big part of your life. And you've got to learn to deal with rejection and not just be not discouraged by it, but to actually learn from it. And, you know, if you if you if you can if you if someone rejects your book, your manuscript, if it, whether it's an agent or an editor and you can find out why you'll learn a lot and the books will just get better that way. So embrace rejection, I say. I love it. Embrace rejection. It's a perfect place to sign off. Thanks for taking the time today uh joe and best of luck uh, with all of your future endeavors we'll talk to you later thank you it's great talking with you thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the writer files and if you enjoy the podcast please subscribe to the show leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us you can always leave us a comment or a question 
and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Thank you.